As we continue on in our series, Surprise the World, this morning, let's just remember where we've been. Uh, The first week we talked about blessing. Because we love Jesus, because we want to be like him, we bless people. And this isn't just a nice idea, uh, but blessing requires concrete action. And so we encourage each other. We're kind, whether people deserve it or not. Words of affirmation, acts of kindness, gift giving. These are the things that characterize us as the people of God. And we do this with intention and affection and delight. All these things make for good community. This is who we want to be. And this is how people are going to know God. And then last week, we talked about eating together, hospitality, based on the way that God has treated us. We think about communion or the, or, or the Eucharist, where Jesus invites us to sit down across the table from him. He breaks the bread and pours the wine and invites us to dinner. Relationship is restored. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The interesting thing about hospitality is that it's an action, but it's also a mindset. And we're to be hospitable, not just in the roast beef dinner sort of way, but in mindset and attitude. We are the people of the bigger circle. We are the people who invite people in, not shut people out. We are the open arms. We are the Andrew Halverson type welcomers. And you know what I mean. The kind... The kind of people that chase people down in the parking lot, hearty handshakes, let's get coffee kind of people, there is room at the table for you sort of people. There's a couple of lines of poetry that go like this. Let me see, is this working? Good. It says, he drew a circle that shut me out, heretic rebel, a thing to flout, but love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle and took him in. And this is exactly what God did for us. And so we go and do likewise. We extend the kind of hospitality that God has shown us. We invite people in. We are the people of the bigger circle, just as God drew the bigger circle to include us. And it's been good to hear each other's stories. And I'm going to tell you some more stories today. But just in case you're new and you think Forest View is the church of careful scorekeeping. We're not. That is just our sense of humor. Nobody is keeping track of any, any of this. But it has been good to be reminded that what God calls us to do and how he's going to change the world isn't really rocket science. It's pretty simple, actually. It's difficult, but it's simple. And we don't need to be super smart, super outgoing, whatever. It's small, pretty ordinary stuff. But then his spirit somehow takes our feeble efforts, our little acts of obedience and delight, and brings about this kind of unshakable kingdom that he desires. I love it. So today we are talking about the Holy Spirit. This is huge. The Holy Spirit is God's presence, and it's like having Jesus right in us. Without the Holy Spirit, we are good people doing good things. But to cooperate with God and to work along with the Holy Spirit is a spiritual adventure that we are not going to get anywhere else. And cooperating with the Spirit brings about change and transformation that isn't going to happen otherwise. So really, This is adventure at a whole other level. 
And believe it or not, today is Pentecost. And like, and like we saw in the video, this is one of those big days on the church calendar. It's about seven weeks or 50 days after Easter. And it's all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So happy Pentecost. And we can think of it this way. At Christmas, we celebrate God with us. In the mystery of the incarnation, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary and was Emmanuel, God with us. Then at Easter, we celebrate God for us. In the mystery of the resurrection, Jesus defeated death and was the way, the truth, and the life, God for us. And then at Pentecost, we celebrate God in us. And so he's moved into our neighborhood. He's taken on flesh and blood. He's conquered death and evil. But today, God wants to come even closer. And this is resurrection from the inside out. This is companionship and intimacy like we have never known before. God in us. You know how it's easy, comfortable to celebrate Christmas? Easter's a little edgier. We've got death, resurrection, some crazy stuff. But Pentecost, Pentecost really takes the cake. There's a reason why you can't find a Pentecost card or Pentecost candy. This holy day celebrates God coming closer than ever before. God in us. So, happy Pentecost. Let's pray before we read the scripture for today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here this morning. We turn our faces towards you. We open our hearts and minds, and you are welcome here. We're paying attention. Speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. So let's take a look at the very first Pentecost ever, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthenians, Medes, Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Figuria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, dear Cyrene, visitors from Rome, the word of the Lord. So prior to this story, Jesus has ascended into heaven and returned to God the Father. And Jesus had told his disciples that this was going to happen. He would return to heaven and send his spirit so that we would not be left as orphans. And so now, God could be with everyone at the same time. See that line about everyone hearing the good news in their own language? This is God coming again, but in a more universal way and a more intimate way. Instead of a physical body, God was spirit. And everyone could have ready and immediate access to God now. Not just a small community in the Middle East, not just 12 disciples, but everyone. And in an even more intimate way, 
than walking through their town or eating dinner with them. At Pentecost, God says, I will be in you and you will be in me. You know how it feels when you meet somebody and they're a close talker? This is close talking at its most extreme. Can we just take a minute to remind ourselves that life with the Spirit is going to be a a mystery. Somehow God is in us, we are in God, and that is hard to understand. And it's impossible to talk about the Holy Spirit without embracing mystery. This is what Richard Rohr, an American theologian and mystic, says. He says, I see mystery not as something you can understand. Rather, it is something that you can endlessly understand. There is no point at which you can say, I've got it. Always and forever, mystery gets you. And in the same way, you don't hold God in your pocket. Rather, God holds you and knows your deepest identity. Another more local theologian and mystic commented on that statement by saying, and I read, I like it because sometimes we think of mystery as being so immense that we resign ourselves to it and disengage. It's so big and beyond knowing that we walk away from it. It's a mystery, can become the Christian version of c'est la vie. It's a mystery, we say with a shrug. But it is hardly satisfying, let alone exhilarating. But I love the notion that mystery continually engages us freshly and in profound ways, so much so that it calls us to explore it deeply and in new ways all the time, because there is always something more. Mystery is where faith and doubt can sit down for an honest conversation and walk away feeling heard, refreshed, encouraged, and transformed. So life with the Spirit is a mystery that we can endlessly understand. God is too big for us to ever nail down completely. Even though we tried that once, it didn't work. But we can continue to understand the Spirit. And this is a spiritual adventure that continues our whole life. There is always more to understand. I want to suggest suggest this morning that the Spirit comforts us and he discomforts us and that he seems to be more interested in sustaining us than protecting us. So, God sent the Spirit so that we would not be alone. And we've got, in John 14 and in Romans 8, it says this, um, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in Romans 8, we have again, the Spirit is right there alongside us, helping us along. He helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit makes prayers out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. The Spirit is there to comfort. When we don't know what to pray, he will do the praying in and for us. Joseph Gerzon, an author and priest, says this. He says, I learned that I was never alone. 
that there was someone always very close by and indeed within me, giving me strength in times of weakness and desolation, light in times of darkness, joy in times of great sorrow and pain, and the will to struggle on when continuing seemed futile. This is the spirit. I was at a party recently, and I said to somebody that I needed a story about the comfort that the Holy Spirit gives. And this person looked at me and said, well, what about this? A few years ago, I was sitting in the shower thinking that my life was over. I did not want to go on. And I cried out to God and I said, you gotta give me something or I just can't do this. Well, he gave me something and I'm here. And this person looked at me and said, so does that count? And I looked into this beautiful face and I said, for sure. That for sure counts. In our darkest moments, when we see a sliver of light, that is the spirit. That is the spirit comforting. And the closeness and that sort of intimacy with the Almighty God is comforting. At the same time, that sort of intimacy, God in us and us in God, is also a little discomforting sometimes. And the discomfort part of this comes because the Spirit of God reminds us of truth. In fact, it almost seems like there's more discomfort than comfort sometimes involved with the Holy Spirit. It says here in John 14, Good, I'm on track. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Spirit teaches us. It reminds us, convicts us. When I was given this preaching assignment, I asked my covenant community for their stories of the Spirit. And someone responded with this story. And it shows how the Spirit convicts us and sometimes it requires something of us. And this is what she said. She said, when I was a young Christian, I came to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit only spoke to you about the big things in life. The little voices or the promptings I chalked up to my conscience or the response to the way I was raised. And as I grew older, I began to think differently about the Holy Spirit and how it works. And I realized that I had been downplaying the role or the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Lately, a lot of the things I've been reading, studying, listening to have dealt with the paradoxes and mysteries of God and the Holy Spirit, and also with looking for the image of God in those around me. So I am trying to be a good listener, interjecting less, some more attentive, contemplating what the Holy Spirit might be saying to me. And she went on to tell a story about a conversation she had with somebody at work and the prompt she felt to bake cookies for this person. And what resulted was a bunch of crazy little coincidences that happened, so her friend ended up with cookies in her hand. And why those cookies were particularly significant for that coworker at that particular time. She heard the Spirit speak. She listened, and then she cooperated with the Spirit, even though she had excuses why she couldn't. Like, she didn't know where her friend lived, so how would she deliver the cookies? Don't worry, God figured that out. And even though it would have been easier to just say something nice at work, instead she obeyed that still, small voice 
And it was a spiritual adventure. She said, I think if God texted, he would sometimes send me these emojis. God speaks to us. Sometimes it's through a thought, something we read, something we read. Someone else told me this story of the spirit discomforting them. It was a friend in her 20s, and she was telling me that a year or two ago, she was really wrestling whether she should marry this man or not. And she loved him. She thought God had placed him in her, in her life. But she didn't really want to give up single life, her job, worried that marriage would be a distraction. And she was praying about it one day when she was outside hanging clothes on the line. It was eerily quiet outside that morning. And then a car came down the street, windows wide open, radio blaring with the song, I'm the one playing. She knew that tying the knot with this guy was the right and good thing to do. And they got married this past winter. And God has continued to surprise her with ways that marriage has not been a distraction to her job, but has actually made her more effective in her job. And perhaps God texted those same emojis to her. So the Spirit comforts us and discomforts us, and the Spirit also sustains us. In fact, I'd like to suggest that sometimes the Spirit seems more interested in sustaining us than protecting us. James Finley says, As we learn to trust in the paradoxical way God sustains us in our suffering, we are learning to sink the taproot of our heart into God, who protects us from nothing, even as God so unexplainably sustains us in all things. Notice that last phrase, that God protects us from nothing, but sustains us in all things. We often pray for protection, don't we? We pray this for ourselves and for others, but it seems as though God is more interested in sustaining us than protecting us. Think about the Old Testament and the prophets. They certainly weren't protected from harm. Tradition says that Isaiah was sawn in two. Think about Jesus. He wasn't protected from a cruel death. Think about the early Christians, Stephen, Peter, James, so many of the early Christians were crucified or stoned or eaten by the animals. Saints throughout the ages, Christians around the world today are often not protected from poverty, torment, and persecution. And so if God is with us, in us, what is going on? And through scripture, we see the stream running through it that, that speaks of sustaining. In Isaiah, yeah, we've got... Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The, fire, the flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. And then in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And then in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God wants us 
to sink the taproot of our hearts deep into him and his love because he wants us to know him. He doesn't promise us that he's going to protect us from troubles. In fact, he does the opposite. He says two things are for sure. You're going to have trouble and I'm going to be with you. What he seems to want most for us is for us to know him, not for us to have easy lives. So how do we relate to the Spirit? How do we cooperate with him? We want to hear the Spirit, but how do we talk with the Spirit, engage in conversation with the Spirit? The idea sounds great, but how do we actually do it? And I want to suggest three things, silence, engagement, and doing the next right thing. So first of all, let's think of silence as golden, not awkward. It is silence that prepares us to hear God. Sometimes we are just too busy talking to notice that God is speaking. Sometimes we need to shut up, to be quiet, to leave space for the other person to actually say something. So in our prayer times, instead of us going on and on or telling God about the great ideas that we have for him, because sometimes we do that, we need to leave some quiet space and say, like the little boy Samuel, speak for your servant is listening. Sometimes silence is awkward. We know this. If we're with friends, at a party, at work, if there's silence, somebody usually tries to break it for the sake of comfort. But let's think of silence as golden. Remember, we are in conversation with the Almighty God. It is totally okay if we are speechless sometimes. In fact, it's not only appropriate, but it's wise. So don't fill every second of our prayers with speech. Second, engage. Somehow we need to include the spirit in our conversations. What breaks a lot of relationships? It's disengagement. And Brene Brown, she's a research professor at the University of Houston. She says this about not engaging in, in human relationships. And she says, I'm talking about the betrayal of disengagement, of not caring, of letting the connection go. If not being willing to devote time and effort to the relationship, if I had to choose the form of betrayal that emerged most frequently from my research and that was the most dangerous in terms of corroding the trust connection, I would say disengagement. When the people we love or whom we have a deep connection stop caring, stop paying attention, stop investing, stop fighting for the relationship, trust begins to slip away and hurt starts sleeping in. Disengagement triggers shame and our greatest fears, the fears of being abandoned, unworthy, and unlovable. What can make this covert betrayal so much more dangerous then something like a lie or an affair is that we can't point to the source of our pain. There's no event, no obvious evidence of brokenness. It can feel crazy-making. That's disengagement. So how do we stay engaged to include the Spirit in our conversations with ourselves? When we think about stuff, when we make plans, when we dream about things, we need to include the Spirit. And sometimes it's just sitting with God and giving him room to say something and tell him, I'm here. I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Is there something I need to know? Is there anything you want to tell me? We can do this before we enter a meeting or before we meet friends. 
before a significant conversation, if we're thinking about a decision we have to make, if we're bored and wondering what's next, if we're overwhelmed with something, if we're discouraged about something, ask the Spirit what he wants to tell us. Sometimes this happens in the middle of the night. Someone from our CovCom said this is how God tends to speak to her. She said, I realized in the middle of last night when I began to pray again for my brother that often the sense to pray for someone comes to me in the middle of the night. It must have been the spirit that stirred in me to begin praying for him in the first place for safety and for reconciliation. And I guess we haven't seen the answer that I've hoped and prayed for, but if it is the spirit, then I know that God is at work both in him and in me. So sometimes it's a reminder or a prompt in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's a thought that goes through our head seemingly from nowhere. But if we think it's from the Spirit, we need to pay attention. The Spirit wants to be a part of our lives and we need to engage with the Spirit. Can I tell you a bit of a strange story? A couple of years ago, one Sunday morning during church here, it felt like God was telling me that I should pray for someone. It was someone who sat on the other side of the church. I didn't know this person very well. He wasn't my gender, my age, my stage of life, anything. So it felt a little bit random. But God seemed to be quite clearly saying that I was to pray for this person during Advent. And I really didn't want to. And I argued with God all through the service. Really? Why don't you pick someone else? Somebody who knows them better? Somebody who has a natural connection? so that this would be normal, but God would not let up. And though I haven't learned a lot, I've learned that if, if it seems like God is telling me to do something, then I better do it. So after the service, I walked across the church and I approached this person and said, hi, I'm Elizabeth. And he knew who I was, but that was about all he knew about me. And I said, I know this is gonna sound strange, but it feels like God is telling me to pray for you during Advent, so that's what I'm gonna do. And I went on to say like, I don't know anything about your life or what's going on, but it seems like God wants me to pray about this specific relationship in your life. And I said, I don't know anything, you don't have to tell me anything, but I'm, I, I'm just supposed to tell you that this is what I'm going to do. And it was awkward and embarrassing. I felt like the crazy lady. But I went home to this email waiting for me that said, what was all that about? And thank you. And he told me later, a couple months later, that that prayer actually was very timely and that he did indeed need an extra dose of wisdom and guidance during Advent about that particular situation. And God gave it to him. I love how the Spirit not only connects us to him, but also to each other. This is one of the great things about God, is that he is always about connecting the disconnected, healing what's been broken. And the Spirit connects us to God, but also to each other. Sometimes he uses our closest friends and family, and sometimes he doesn't. But this is the beauty of the church. Remember the story of Pentecost? Everyone could understand because they, they could hear their own language. It was the Spirit connecting people. So, so far we have embracing silence, engaging with the Spirit in our conversation as ways of cooperating with the Spirit. 
And lastly, it's do the next right thing. Sometimes I think we're addicted to knowledge and understanding. Sometimes we think it would be easy to pray the right thing or do the right thing if only we had the big picture. And then we could fully cooperate with God. God does not seem to work that way. It seems like he either gives us the end goal and the middle's a bit fuzzy, or he gives us the next right thing, but beyond that, it's foggy. There is submission involved here. Submitting that God's ways are higher than our ways, that this is God's show and he's directing and producing it. He invites us to participate and say a few lines and act a few parts, but this is his show. And sometimes we need to give up our desire to know and understand everything. What we need to do is whatever the next right thing is. We need to give up our desire for the long range forecast because it seems like God tends to give us manna for today, but not storehouses for the future. Lucy Shaw says this beautifully. Let me read this to you. It's called manna. I'm not asking for quails for dinner. And if they flew in my window at mealtime in a torrent of wind, I would think panic, not miracle. Time is so multiple and fluid. I lose a day flying west and gain it back returning. I'm ravenous to know where I am today and who, and how am I gonna be fed? And if the prayer I offered this morning at first light was known and answered last week, am I in some horizontal pleat of time, some rock crevice in the mountain shoulder with a great hand shielding me from the tempest of too much knowledge? You never know what a simple request will get you. So no expectation of birds from heaven. Rather, I will commit myself to this quantidian wilderness, watching for what the wind may bring me next, perhaps a small wafer tasting like honey that I can pick up with my fingers and lay on my tongue to ease for this day my hunger to know. Our hunger to know is great if we only had a crystal ball. But instead, God gives us light for the path one step at a time, and he invites us to walk with him and to do the next right thing. It's one thing to know and understand the theology of the Spirit. Yes, he exists. Yes, he's real. Yes, he works and makes things happen. But to make it really real, we need to act on what we know. The Asaru tribe of Indonesian Papua New Guinea says this, knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. So if we agree with the spirit, then we have to act with the spirit. St. Teresa of Avila reminds us that Christ has no body on earth but ours, no feet or hand but ours. And this is how God is going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished here through us by the power of the spirit by acting and following through on what the Spirit prompts us. We move what we're learning from our heads to our heart through our hands. And our knowledge of the Spirit becomes our practice and transforms us in the meantime. 
One of the temptations we have is to be bobblehead Christians, like this one, bobbleheads, big head, little body. There is a reason why God tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and body, because following Jesus requires all of us. We need to love God with our minds. Our minds and our heads matter. So we need to make sure that we are reading and memorizing scripture, understanding the grand story that's told in the Bible, wrestling with thoughts and ideas about Jesus and what difference this makes in our life. We need to study. We need to be students of the word of God and the ways of God. Scriptures, books, podcasts, intellectual conversations with people. God tells them that we are to love him with our minds. And next week, Doug is going to be speaking to us about learning Jesus. And at the back of the Surprise the World book, there's a list of books and movies about Jesus. Let's do it. And then loving God with our hearts and souls is another piece of the puzzle. Like any relationship, this is going to require time spent together, shared experience so that we want to love him. Our desire is for God and the things of God. We want what he wants and our hearts align. But then the piece of the puzzle about loving the Lord our God with our whole body, this part is hard. It's way easier to read about something, agree with it, give it our mental assent, thus the bobblehead. We know so much. We want much information, more knowledge, more understanding. It does tickle our brains. It makes us feel good. But loving something or someone is easier too. We love someone because of who they are and what they've done. But to love someone with our body, this requires us to put our money where our mouth is. If we want to be more than bubblehead Christians, we need to act. We need to do the next right thing. We need to listen to the Spirit. And if the Spirit is prompting us to do something, we need to do it. As we leave here today, let's be encouraged to spend some time with the Spirit this week. This painting is called The Angelus by Jean-Francois Millet. He's a French painter from the 1800s. And this picture is about the daily rhythms of peasants in a French potato field. We have two potato farmers, a man and a woman, and they're taking a break from the farm work to say a prayer. The church bells would ring at regular intervals throughout the day, and people would stop and pause and pray. And here they're praying the Angelus, and it's a, it's a prayer that's based on Mary's response to the news that she's going to have a baby. And the gist of the prayer is really, I am your servant, may it be as you have said. So may this painting remind us this week to deliberately make space in our regular lives for listening to and engaging with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what comes after Pentecost in the church calendar? It's called the ordinary time. The next big event in the church calendar isn't till Advent. It's not till the beginning of December. So we have got the next five or six months to grow, to participate with the Spirit. The color for ordinary time is green for growth. Isn't it great, though, that Pentecost kicks off ordinary time? We get to practice all these things that we've been learning, but we have the Holy Spirit not just with us and for us, but in us, the Almighty God in us. This can be a spiritual adventure. 
I'm looking forward to your stories next week. Let's take a couple minutes right now. Let's pause and talk to God. I'm going to pray for communion, and then the ushers can come forward to prepare the table. And once things are ready, come forward, drink, and eat. Let's pray. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, God, we remember your pursuit of us. You found a way. We were separated, split apart, and yet you stretched out your arms and bridged the gap. For the way that you have blessed us, invited us to your table, and have given us your spirit, thank you. We love you. Amen.